The following episode contains strong language and may not be suitable for all audiences. Hello, I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of the novel Atomic Anna, and you've tuned in to Check This Out. We're coming to you from the Howe Library, and we are sponsored by the Howe Library Corporation and the Jack and Dorothy Byrne Foundation. Thank you so much to both of them for making this program possible. This is the third installment of our spring literary series, and we are here to bring you books and authors that we think you should be reading and talking about. If you love these books as much as we do, and we know you will, go to your library and check them out, or go to your local bookstore and buy a copy. Today, I am so, so excited to introduce you to Priya Guns. Hi, Priya. Welcome to the show. Hey, Rachel. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to have you here. Priya's debut novel has come on, has taken the world by storm. Your driver <laughs> is waiting. Look at this amazing cover. It's it is beautiful. just gorgeous. It is, right? I love that she's admiring it still. It is gorgeous. It's her debut novel. It is out and it is being reviewed and read everywhere. And we are so lucky to have you today. For people who don't know Priya, I'm going to introduce you to her, read her bio, and then we're going to hear from her. She's going to read a little bit from her book. Priya Guns is a writer, teacher, and actor. She was born in Jaffna, and raised in Toronto. In 2015, she founded an arts education program for young people in Sri Lanka. So Priya, how does it feel? The book is out in the world, tell us. It feels pretty amazing, I feel very grateful. Yeah, I'm taking it all in, processing a lot still, um, but I'm excited. Yeah, I love it. So tell us, what is this amazing novel about? <laughs> this is like the worst question. <laughs> I know. She warned me that she didn't want me to ask. And I told her it's <laughs> the one question I could never skip. Of course. Um, my book is about, it's about a lot. It's about rage. It's about love in its many forms. Um, essentially, it's about a rideshare driver who's driving in a city that is just almost imploding on itself. People are out and they're protesting. Her father recently passed away and she's having to take care of her mom who's, you know, dealing with the heartbreak and the trauma of, I mean, her life and everything that's happened. Um, the rideshare company, of course, is not paying her as they should. And she's losing hope in society and in people. And then one day she meets this beautiful woman who happens to have a lot of money. <laughs> um, and she thinks, you know what, maybe my life can change. But of course, that is not the case. So, yeah. Well, it does, but in a, not the way she envisioned. That was a beautiful description. You nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so to kick us off, would you mind reading the opening paragraph? Because it is so powerful and so beautiful. And I've been waiting all day to hear this in your voice. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Chapter one. If you're going to be a driver, you'd better hide at least one weapon in your car, especially if you're a driver that looks like me. Not because I'm dashing or handsome, but because I am a woman, of course. I think it has something to do with tits, even though not all of us have them. I sort of do, but that's beside the point. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. <laughs> so, um, you know, right away, we are introduced to this idea that the main character is a rideshare driver and she has filled her car with weapons. Right. Mm -hmm. It is right from the very beginning about right protecting herself, staying alive. And that is a theme throughout the book. How did you think about that as you were writing? Um, I mean, I am sort of in a family of drivers um, and I know that drivers are constantly thinking about their safety. So there is the reality 
of that, of course. There's a funny story. When I was in New York to promote the book, um, I took a ride share, an Uber driver <laughs> drove me to the airport and I started talking about my novel and I asked him, hey, can I ask you something? Like, do you have a weapon in your car? You have a switchblade in your pocket, don't you? And he turns around and he's like, yeah, but you're, you're not going to write about that, are you? And I'm like, I already kind of did, but he's like, you're not going to say anything to Uber. I'm like, don't worry. I got you. I yeah, got you. Yeah. Um, but I mean, driving and having that type of job, you're inviting complete strangers into your space and into your world. And it is dangerous. And I, I know that a lot of times passengers are quite wary of the fact that, you know, I'm getting into a stranger's car. Um, but the reality as well is that there, this is a, another human being who is inviting you into their car. And there's a lot of um, dangers associated with that, of course. Yeah. But there's a larger metaphor there too, right? I mean, yeah. she's very protective of herself and her family and she's lost her father. Um, yeah. So can you talk about that also as the metaphor that you use throughout the book? Self-defense, um, right? Self-defense is, um, so Domini as a driver and having her weapons, going back to, I guess, your first sort of question, it's her way of having some sort of control where she's in a situation where she has zero control and has zero time to even process what it is that has happened to her and what is going around her. Um, and I mean, her having weapons and access, I mean, she's basically using things that are, you know, a pair of scissors. Normally, I mean, it can be used as a weapon, but it has another sort of purpose. Um, and this whole conversation and idea of violence and the use of violence and who is punished for the use of violence and who can just kind of be violent every day. And then what does violence mean in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. You know, even being a worker in an economic system where if you don't work, you therefore cannot eat. We can argue that in itself is an act of violence against workers, for instance. Yeah. But the things that she keeps in her car, I just want to stick with this for another minute because I was just fascinated with this. And, you know, she has dishcloths, a towel, a crowbar, cleaning products, toothbrush, baking soda, vinegar, squeegee, rags, um, gloves, because, oh, yeah, sometimes things got messy. All right. Because there are like bodily fluids also all over the car. Right. People are throwing up, having sex. Right. I mean, like everything is happening in that car. It is mm -hmm. the right. The sort of the center of humanity. And I love that, too, because I think a lot of us just jump in and out of an Uber or wherever the subway, wherever we are. And we don't think about right what we leave behind us. Um, so did you think a lot about that sort of, you know, what was left in the car? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, again, being in a family of drivers, um, I hear firsthand these stories of what yeah. it's like when somebody is sick and what is best used to clean all of that up. The cost of cleaning fees, I think a lot of people don't realize that if your car, if you vomit in someone's car, they are driving around with that stench, which will last for about 24 hours. And if they're not driving, they lose that money. Um, so, yeah, I thought about everything you might need to clean, everything you <laughs> might need for passengers who might be sick. So there's that bucket as well, which has um, various different um, uses. Um, so then she has everything you could also use to prevent um, anyone kind of pissing. There's tampons, there's pads, there's diapers. I mean, it's, it's there's pretty everything. Oh my everything. God, it was amazing. I love it. But then there's also the way that she's treated, right? People walk yeah. in and almost everyone gets into the, the car and they're like, do you speak English? Do you know where you're going? And I could just hear this attitude. I mean, you know, the way you wrote it, it was like she was not being treated as an equal or even always as human. Um, yeah. And I love the way you brought that 
just brought that straight to the front as well. So I, this question though, really, do you speak English? Brought me to one of my favorite questions um, in the book you wrote, how do you know how to live when you've never been given the freedom to? And I love that question because she is literally working herself to death, you know, driving when people are being so obnoxious to her. And then she's thinking about freedom. But how do you know freedom if you've never had it? Could you talk about that question and how you were thinking about this idea of freedom? For me, I think the fight towards liberation, any sort of liberation or freedom is ultimately the fight for us to, to, to be, to be human. When we're working, we're denied so much. If you think about, like, I always think about my parents even as workers and then, you know, at the end, and myself even growing up, um, working two, three jobs at one point, at the end of the day, you're exhausted. You know, you might be at work texting your friends like, hey, let's meet up, let's do this. I'm going to go to karate. I'm going to do whatever. And then at the end of the day, you got to make dinner. If you have kids, you got to care for your kids. When can you ever actually just be? Mm-hmm. And even the question of like, I mean, when people talk about hobbies or exploring other parts of themselves, when we meet people, we say, hey, what do you do? You know, not like, hey, what do you like to do or what do you want to explore? And right. I think this is very unfortunate. And it's something that, of course, exists within the our system right now within late capitalism. And it has to be that way in order for it to be what it is right now. And I think that that's something that we should think about. I know people are, but I mean, to really think about what it means to be as humans, because yeah, if you're not, if we're not given time or space or the resources to do what it is, we actually want to do to even, we don't even have the time to imagine sometimes and then act on making the world the way we want it to be, or the way we want it to look like we're so tired. Mm-hmm. And that's also Dominique's situation where she's seeing these protests and she's like, yeah, cool. I want to hold a megaphone, but I'm f- I don't know if I can swear on this. I'm sorry. I should have asked. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but that's exactly right. You need, you need space to be free, right? Even if you're living somewhere that's ostensibly free, if you have to work 20 hours a day, are you free? How could you actually answer? What do you do? I love that point. And I think you make that very clear in there. Okay. So you touched on the activism, the so-called activism, the protests, the signs that we see throughout the entire book. And then this is where we also see Jolene come into the picture, right? Because you have these, um, you know, people protesting and raising money for the good of everything every all around them. But it kind of just felt like a front, right? It was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, activism on display as opposed to truly trying to change the world, which I bet you have a lot to say about. (laughs) And I want to ask you, all right, can you talk to us about that? in the book um okay um i'm still getting used to people asking me questions because i get distracted very easily so when you say jolene's name dolly parton is singing in my brain it's just like (laughs) jolene jolene okay um in terms of what i wanted to say about the protest and one i mean this is something that we're seeing more in the mainstream. People are talking about it more. People who normally would have said, hey, there's a riot going on. But you you call it performative allyship, right? Basically, like, yes. So you're just performing that you're woke and then you go home to your rich house and you have your house cleaner and your gardeners and your exactly. fancy clothes. And then you're saying, let's help these people. Ah, here's some money and then you leave. So performative allyship. I want to hear, mm. I would love to hear what you think about that. Um, I think it's something... That I mean, I think a lot of people don't even realize the performance. I think that a lot of people, if you were to ask them, they would say, no, I genuinely do care. And that might be the case. But I think what is happening and what has been the case 
for so long is people aren't examining how their lives and what it is they do on, the, on a daily basis that impacts so many other people. Mm -hmm. So it's like, how are we complicit in what it is that we do every single day? And I mean, it doesn't matter. This was another huge thing I wanted to make clear in the book. I'm not saying that performative allyship is something that only white people do or, or are a part of. That's not the case at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think it has a lot to do with class. And like you said, there are people like Jolene are out on the streets and they go home to these wonderful houses. They have a cleaner and that, and that's it. They go to bed and they, they don't really have to worry because what it is they're fighting for um, doesn't actively affect them or impact them. And it's great that people are out on the street for causes that have nothing to do with them, even though we, I think we should be examining how it is that we're all interconnected. So as opposed right. to looking at our differences, looking at how it is that we're similar. Yeah. I mean, I thought in many ways, your book, right, Your Driver is Waiting, is a call to action, it, you know, by saying you can't just say the right things. But also, it's maybe points out that there are different stages to change, right? I, I was trying to find a little bit of this hopeful message in it, right? Because, you you know, maybe you start by pushing for change with a protest or a sign, but that just can't be the end, seemed to be one of your main messages, right? You can't just stand on the street and say that and go home to your fancy house or your different life, right? and ignore that that's what you want. You actually need to dig in and do more if you want change. And I thought that's really what was there. Was that part of what you were thinking about? Um, it's one part, but also I wanted to show that there's different ways to go about, you know, making or finding change. So they're like, yeah, protests are great. Civil disobedience is great. Direct action, for me, in my opinion, is like, great, great, great. Mm. Um, Doo-wop, I think, is an example of, a space where people had the space and had their a sense of community where they could talk about what other forms of um, action they could do outside of just marching on the street. So they did do that. They did. They were out and they protest as well, Sharif and the other drivers, but they also had plans to do something else. And so I really hope, um, and even for myself, like I don't have all the answers, but I think that if we get together and, you know, have these sorts of conversations, um, because everybody can do something in whatever it is that they do. And I think even being kind and being a good person, not being a is a great start towards, you know, making a difference in just in our own communities and in our own spaces. It's not that difficult to move in the right direction. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Just it'll take yes. a lot though. I made it sound super easy. Oh, yeah, you know, just be a nice person. <laughs> no, there's a lot more to it. But I mean, if we're gonna start somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I think awareness is a place to start, which is what your book does, right? Mm. You've got to be aware um, and and not say jerky things such as Jolene, my girlfriend is brown. I mean, of course I get it mm. <laughs> after they had been together for a day, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that sentiment? Um, I wanted to show Jolene. That is not an easy question, by the way, but I'm throwing <laughs> it at you. Right? I wanted to show Jolene's sense of entitlement. I think for me, more than wanting to just be like, oh yeah, this is my point. This is because I'm all I'm a very curious person. I, I like to pick apart things, unpack them, and think them over like inside and out to like a point of obsession. It's insane. And so these are sort of moments that I hope people could either relate with or sit with and say, wait a minute, this sounds familiar. Or is this is this even a bad, horrible thing to say? Like, what's wrong with that? She is brown. Maybe. 
I mean, maybe the issue some people might have found is that, oh, when did they talk about her being her girlfriend? Like, right. They've been together for like a day. Exactly. Dominique didn't give any agency or any like she didn't say, oh, yeah, that's what's happening. That's what we are. She automatically assumed. Um, So in that one little bit of dialogue, I hope that there would be a lot to unpick and unpack Um, the question of, you know, what is right? What is wrong um, is something that I, I want readers to sort of play with. Um, because yeah. I think one of the problems we also have is to immediately shut down people for saying something that, oh, that's not right. You can't say that. OK, yeah, you can call people out, but people can change. And the people who are saying, oh, yeah, that's not cool. I mean, nobody is perfect. We're all learning. We're all sort of, you know, we're figuring out, figuring out ourselves and this world and how we interact with people together, essentially. And Dominique does that. She, yeah. Dominique does that in the book, right? She says yeah. to Jolene, that's not quite right, but that's okay. Let's just keep going, right? Yeah. I think she's forgiven. All she wants to do is have a conversation with Jolene about everything. Yeah. Or and have I mean, sex with Jolene. Does, yeah, everywhere. when she does to try to have that conversation, <laughs> yeah, that may not have been the right way to go about things. But I mean, ultimately, she just wanted to talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or do more than talk, because there's a lot of great sex in the book, too. Thank um, you. Uh, but your characters are also, you talk a lot about them being broken and you have this line, I'm not sure which is worse being broke or being broken. And it seems to relate to, uh, being lonely. And, um, you wrote Dominique's one of the, um, the sort of her, um, observations as a driver. She says, sometimes you can see how badly some people need human interaction. There's a clear difference between wanting it and needing it, but I'm no expert. Most people though are lonely. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Can you talk about that idea that most people are lonely and broken? Mm. That was something I did genuinely think about. And I, I'm, I'm sure I, I haven't. I'm just remembering like being on the bus, finishing work um, and thinking like, what is worse? Feeling really sad or having no money. And my mom would always say, you know, even though we don't have money, we have love. But yeah, loneliness and alienation is something that I'm also quite fascinated about. And thinking about the 1976 film Taxi Driver, um, Travis Bickle was a very lonely man and he wasn't shy of talking about that. And I thought about, you know, I think it's fair to say that we all at least once in our lives will feel a deep sense of loneliness. And I think it's very easy to feel lonely in our system today. Um, Domini is a rideshare driver, which means she doesn't have a workplace. She's completely atomized, you know, it's up to the drivers to come together. And I mean, that's what works in like Uber's favor because it's harder to organize against these big corporations. But her loneliness is very different, different from Travis Bickle. She does have a community. She's not lonely in the sense where she feels like, oh, yeah, nobody loves me. Like, it's just me by myself. I'm miserable. Screw the world. It's very different. It's that she's kind of seeing how the system she lives in doesn't function for her, doesn't operate for her. And that is very alienating. Well, she's missing. Uh, She's mourning her father, who's actually gone and her mother, who is mostly gone. Right. I mean, her mother is entirely dependent on her and doesn't really get up or move very much. Yeah. So there's a lot of sadness there for her. Oh, yeah. And Um, seeing people also like every day coming into her car, going out, she wonders. And I think some of this is within the subtext. But like, what are they doing? Where are they going? Like, what is actually happening? 
Mm-hmm. You know, people are just kind of moving around and you don't really see them connecting, but they're going somewhere. They and seem so to I, all be taking from her, right? They're taking yes. something. Yes. Yeah. You know, without even realizing it, of course. Yeah. I mean, they're literally using her car and they maybe it's OK because they're paying her right in their mind. But they are literally using her and her energy. Right. And requiring sort of sucking the life out of her through this job. Mm-hmm. And what the passengers don't realize as well, outside of all of that, is that they might be paying $20 for a ride that Domini is getting seven bucks for. Right. You know, the profit margin there is, yeah. And she's got to pay for gas mm-hmm. and the oil change. And insurance. Uh, yeah. Everything else. It's not like she's rolling in it. Okay, so I want to ask you about Dr. Thelma Herman Hesse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Siddhartha, right? I mean, are we talking about Herman Hesse? Like, what we are and we are. This is a woman who I was thinking, like, does she has she taken the name, or does it just so happen to be her name? Yes. Um, and I'm not poking fun at Herman Hesse, who I adore. Like, mm-hmm. he's one of my favorite writers and thinkers. Um, so she's definitely a woman who's just using his clout okay Um, (laughs) but no she's a character I mean I think this is something that people can relate with I think we all should have access to mental health care unfortunately that's not the case we should explain who she is do you want to tell us who she is in the book so for listeners who haven't read it yeah um the protagonist therapist who has I can't remember basically shitload of subscribers because she provides free content on YouTube Right. So she doesn't ever see people in person. So Dominique's yeah. listening to her podcasts or whatever it is, right? Her exactly. broadcasts. And she has these videos where like there are, she has three cats and every video is a surprise. Which cat is she going to be with? She knows how to use like the changing backgrounds. So it's like really entertaining. But of course, she's not a real therapist. And her advice, it starts out kind of, you know, like, oh, yeah, smell the flowers, you know, breathe in, breathe out, count to 10. Um, and then it goes kind of bad and um Dominique still listens she's just like okay you're strange but all right okay I'll just you know blow all my problems out on this napkin and everything will be fine I mean it was funny and also sad because yeah. Dominique was really listening to her and you know and I would sit there like what, what? <laughs> so what what role did you actually want her to be playing um I think this was sort of my way of having fun with self-help the whole self-help genre when I so I used to be an avid reader and then I turned 16 and was working loads and couldn't find any books that I could connect with and I had no time to read so like I read a lot of self-help books and I needed the help I needed it and sometimes I would read it and it would just be like basic basic and like sometimes my therapist who I have now thanks to my book thank you publishers But like, she'll say stuff and it sounds very basic, but you need to hear it and it's wonderful, right? But sometimes Mm -hmm. in these books, you see these authors are making loads of money. And I mean, they're doing great things. I don't know. I'm not here to slam anyone, but I wanted to poke fun at that. Okay. Yeah. Um, And just that whole, I don't know, that whole space. But I liked it. I mean, not to make fun of people, but also to question the advice that you hear because you have someone that you trust who might be telling you something. That's crazy. Right? Mm. And not only that, but then the person who's doing that, I mean, how much damage are you inflicting on someone else's life? Yeah. By yeah. telling them to do something that's so quite absurd. Yeah. But at the same time that you might need help, 
right? And yeah. there are different ways to find it and to look for it. And if you can't afford a therapist, right, there are other things that you can do. So I actually really loved that character and the, you know, yeah. sort of the self-reflection in there and the mm. Herman Hesse. I was <laughs> I definitely... <will> <laughs> There are some amazing therapists online who do provide free content and they've been wonderfully useful for me. So I'm not doing them down. Yeah. Okay. I want to shift gears a little bit because I want to ask you about the actual form of the book or a structure. I don't know what the right literary term is here, but your chapters basically are really short. It's like almost like they reflect or mirror the rides themselves, right? So you might have a five minute ride. It's like a five minute read, right? It's like a page or two, or you have a Mm -hmm. 10 minute, right? I felt like I was taking a ride with every single chapter. Did you do that on purpose or am I reading that in there? Uh, no, that was completely intentional for a lot of different reasons. One, it was the the beats in her life. It was the rides, you know, people coming in and coming out of her car. Um, it was her thoughts. Um, it was the pace of the city around her. But also for me, I like I wanted people who normally don't engage with fiction or find it difficult to pay attention to a book to be able to feel quite good at the fact that oh, I'm on chapter, I don't know, 41 and it's page 20, you know? Yeah. But I just, you know, I think it's, and it's rare to find a novel that so clearly has the form, the chapter structure, follow the content. And I just thought that was really brilliant. I really liked it. Um, And it's a great example for people who are starting out learning how to write, or like you were saying, you have a short attention span, right? Mm -hmm. To show that you can reflect what you're trying to do with the structure of your novel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I loved that. So um, can you tell me what was the hardest part about writing this book? The hardest part about talking about it. (laughs) After it's published. Even I think the moments where people are like, oh, you're writing a book. What is it about? Like I told you before, Mm -hmm. it's because there's so much going on in my mind and -hmm. there's so many different layers. And it's like, where do I start? I could tell you about the plot, which is like this, but there, there's so much in my brain that brings that all to life that puts all those pieces together. So it's, it's quite an overwhelming question for me. Yeah. So it's, talking about it but like I mean of course I I love talking about my book but in when you're like at the pub with somebody or you're out for coffee and someone's like hey like what are you working on Mm -hmm. like whoa this is this like how much time do we have (laughs) (laughs) right I was wondering too um if a lot of people are asking you very personal questions with this book are they assuming that it's you and your life I want, I think that now we're at an interesting time where a lot of writers before me have said, hey, stop assuming that the protagonist is the author or there's a connection. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why I haven't been asked that. There was once somebody who wrote a review and said, oh yeah, something about how the protagonist is must be Priya. And I'm like, you don't even know me, bro. Like. <laughs> Right. I don't even remember your name right now, but thank you for writing my review. (laughs) I think, um, no, no one is assuming, which is wonderful. Um, I think when things do get personal, it's me just sharing how, you know, some of Domini's experiences or her thoughts may have linked to a thought I had. Um, But she is completely separate and lives in another world. Yeah. Yeah. So what advice do you have for new writers? Ooh, keep writing. Don't stop. Um, Do whatever you can to finish a first draft. Um, Don't be so hard on yourself when you reread it and think it's 
garbage. It probably is, but that's okay. You have something to work with. Believe me, I have a first draft right now and I'm just like, oh my God, this is terrible. What am I doing? Um, and that's very normal. So, I mean, the self-doubt is normal. Um, pick yourself up and just keep writing. Cause if you are enjoying the writing, I mean, there's no need to stop. Yeah. I love that advice. Um, and I would just love to know, like, what did you learn along the way writing this book and in this, this whole publication, right? Lead up the process. What did you learn that you could share with us? I learned about myself. I learned that I could be more of myself. Um, I think for me writing, I mean, I've written two manuscripts that were unpublished before. Um, three, actually, I have a, a novella too. I was dealing with a lot of rejections and it felt very personal. It felt like I know what I want to do, but I am not given the opportunity. And it was very sad and it was terrible. So writing this novel made me reflect on um, what I want to do as a writer, what I can do as a writer. And um, yeah, it's so much. I'm still kind of processing all of it. It's... um. Yeah, it's a wonderful place that I'm in right now. I love that. And thank you for sharing that you had so much rejection and you have so many books in the drawer because I think it's really important for writers out there to know that it takes a long time, oh, right? A very long time. And, and having things in the drawer that will never see the light of day is part of the process. Yeah. So, so thank I you for sharing that. I was writing my first, or I don't know, my first draft of Your Driver is Waiting. And I remember getting a ping and it was an email of a rejection. And I'm just like, eh, <laughs> you just wait just wait <laughs> yep exactly and i'm <laughs> glad we did priya thank you so much for joining us today on check this out with the how library we absolutely love your debut here it is again your driver is waiting if you guys love her book as much as we do go to your library and check it out or go to your local bookstore and buy a copy thank you again to the how library corporation and to the jack and dorothy byrne foundation thank you to our amazing producers today jared jenish and megan coleman we wouldn't be here without them they are the magic behind the scenes join us again on april 26th we will have claire jimenez with what happened to ruthie ramirez and on may 24th we will be joined by Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya for Chain Gang All-Stars. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we will see you on April 26th.